Hey everyone, welcome to the Gatekeepers Podcast. In this episode, Pastor Billy shares on the importance of discipleship and a practical way it will be facilitated at Gatekeepers. If you want to know more about Gatekeepers, visit gatecityatl.com slash gatekeepers. Enjoy. Uh, all right, we're going to talk about discipleship discipleship. We're laying a lot of foundations right now. Um, We're trying to get the ball rolling on so many things. And so tonight, we're going to talk about something that we feel like the Lord gave us as a a clear plan for gatekeepers. We think it's going to actually explode um, something called transformation groups, also known as T-groups. I'm not going to say spill the tea groups, but I just did. Huh? So, um, here's the thing. In Jesus, when you got saved, when you became a Christian, we weren't, no, When you got saved, when you became a Christian, the goal wasn't for you to become a better you. That was not the goal. The goal was for the old you to die and for a new you to be created and for the inner you, your mind, your will, your emotions to be transformed, okay? Because when you got born again, when you became a Christian, your spirit was dead, and God the Holy Spirit came and began to live inside of you. That, That whole transition right there, that's going from death to life, that's called being born again, or the new birth, or getting saved. But when you got saved, you didn't get a brand new mind instantaneously. Your spirit got filled with God, but you had the same mind and you had the same flesh. Now, some of you, you got saved when you were like six. And here's what I found out about people who get saved when they're six. They get saved when they're six, but when they turn 13, they got to get saved again. And And some of you got saved when you were about 13, But you know what I know about people who are 13? If you got saved when you're 13, when you turn about 18 or 19, you got to get saved again. Here's why. Because at six, you can only say yes to what a six-year-old can understand. But at 13, you begin to understand things differently, and you can now say yes in a whole new way to things that a six-year-old could never have comprehended. And then at 18 or 19, 20-ish in that zone, all of a sudden you're able to comprehend life in a much, much different dimension. And you, you can say yes at that time to something a 13-year-old could never comprehend. Am I making sense right now? And so that salvation experience, it's, here's a, here's a good collegiate word, an iterative process for many 
iterative process. And what that means is this, that you say yes, and then you say yes again, and then you say yes again. And the more that you keep saying yes to Jesus, the more you're submitting your will. Now, I know theologically you're not getting saved again. I'm, I'm, I'm playing with that idea. But the point is, you're submitting your will afresh and anew as you come into a greater understanding and comprehension of what life even means. Now, here's what I've found out. People who just say yes to Jesus and start coming to services, they will have a measure of encounter with the Lord. They might have a transformational moment they might even become people who read the Bible sometimes and pray sometimes. They might even transform in how they speak, how they spend their time, and how they spend their money. But the end and uh, end all be all of Christianity isn't just attending services. That's not the fullness of what it means to be born again and be in the body of Christ, okay? There's not one person who got saved, who got born again, that got saved as a lone ranger or got saved on an island. Just like when you were born, you were born into the human family, you were born into a family. When you were born again, you were born into a Christian family, and you were born into the body of Jesus Christ. That's the church. And here's what I, I need you to understand right now. In the church, we need each other. We have to have each other. There is no one who can be an island and live alone and thrive in their walk with Jesus. That does not exist. Because you weren't made to be a whole apart from the rest of the body. In fact, we're only just a part of the body, each of us. A hand or a foot or an elbow or a kneecap, a shoulder blade, whatever, you're a part of the body. Pinky fingers, you are a part. But by itself, a pinky is fairly worthless. It has to be attached to the hand and then it has a whole lot of stuff it can do. And you have to be connected into the body for the life flow of what happens in the body to actually connect and touch and transform your life. And this is what I found out about Christianity. If you're a believer and all you do is come to services and you never have life-on-life -life connections with others in the body, you do not grow. You'll end up being a Christian for 30 years, but have one year of maturity. And you literally will do one year 30 times. And it's, I've been in pastoral ministry a long, long time. I've been in pastoral ministry like almost 30 years. It'll be 30 years this year. And I have met so many believers and I'm like, so when did you get saved? Oh, I got saved 20 years ago. And they're literally the same person they were when they got saved. They're that same person 20 years later. And how is that possible? If the life of God is in their spirit, 
How is it possible that they didn't automatically begin to grow? What happened? They didn't end up as a viable part of the body connected with others, and they didn't follow the biblical prescription for growth. See, because we're not just called to just get saved. Every single one of us is called to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, a follower of Jesus, so that when we live our life the way we live, we're not, we're not living like the, our best life or the best version of me. When we live our life in Christ, we're living like Jesus. We're being transformed and conformed into the image of Jesus. Does that make sense? This is not about, a, like, a, this is, Christianity is not like a, um, sort of like a therapeutic, you know, get better program, you know, self-help. That's the word I was looking for, some self-help program. It's not like a new workout regimen. It's not like being a better you. It's a transformation from the person that you were that was dead in your sin to a completely new creation who is then transformed and looks like a walking little Jesus. Through your eyes, through your face, through your style, through your personality, it's not about becoming a robot. It's about Jesus expressing himself through the, glo the glory of Jesus expressing himself through the mystery of you. It's pretty fantastic. And it's like every person, the way I think of it is like every person is their own, they're like their own prism or diamond, every person. And it's all unique. Every individual is unique. And when the glory shines through it, something is unique about when Jesus is shining through that individual. And so we need every person to be connected to the body, to have the life flow going on in the body, and to be transformed the way Jesus intended for it to happen. Am I making sense right now? Are you with me right now? All right, be with me right now. Be with me in this. Connect with me in this, because this is so foundational to who we are and what we're going to do and how we're going to grow. I don't want one of you in a year to be the exact same person you were right now. May 2024, I want you to have a whole 12 months of growth under your belt. Amen. That's the most loving thing I can say to you and, and offer to you is a, a way to get you to grow in Christ. And not to become one of these 50-year-olds with 25 years or 30 years of Christianity, but one year of growth. Wow. Wow. Wow, that was so hard. Oh my gosh. That was so stinking hard. Woo, thank you, Joel. Good gosh. Ah. Oh. Bro, I was sweating. Thank you so much. Woo.
gosh. <laughs> I just, gosh, just talk back to me a little bit. Anything. He goes, he goes, amen. Amen. Four points tonight. Discipleship begins with following. Discipleship requires authenticity. Discipleship brings transformation. Transformation begins with beholding. Here's point one. Discipleship begins with following. When you read this, the New Testament, you find this. Jesus' first invitation to every single one of the disciples, disciples was, follow me. Follow me. I think in the church, we've made things really complex. We've made it really bizarre. Sometimes we've made discipleship a program, discipleship a, a you know, 12-step process, discipleship a list of things you have to do. And I think there can be help that we get when we have, okay, a process and a plan and a list that we actually follow. I think that can be helpful. But if we've made discipleship just sort of going through the class or following a list, we've actually missed the whole point. Discipleship is following Jesus. It's following Jesus. What is Jesus like? What is he thinking? What is he feeling? What is he expressing? You and I, when we go through our day, when we're at work, at school, when we go to the store, we go to the restaurant, whatever, we're carrying Jesus with us, and there's a thought and an expression and an opinion that he has. And so discipleship is when I'm transforming on the inside, in my mind and in my soul, and I'm not trying to express my opinion, but I'm in connection with Jesus, and I'm looking at how can I express his opinion? How can I express his person, his glory? So discipleship, it starts with following. You go to Walmart, there's somebody who's funky in Walmart. You, you're looking like, dang, Walmart people. And you can do it one of two ways. You can, like, take a picture with the weirdo in the background, like, eh, Walmart, uh, you know, whatever. Or you can say, Jesus, what's your opinion of the individual over there that's acting bizarrely? If you do number two, you actually might get an answer from Jesus that would surprise you. He might say something like, I really like that guy. I really like that girl. I actually care deeply about their life. He might even whisper to you something he knows about them for you to share with them. Followership is discipleship. It's putting yourself in, in the wild, in the open, and saying, Jesus, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? What are you doing? What are you doing at Walmart? What are you doing with the Walmart dwellers right now? What are you doing here? I want to follow you. Had a really wild experience at Walmart. This has been a year and a half ago. It's Christmas time. And, uh, you know, they hire a bunch of extra employees at Christmas. And so I think it was me and you, Kobe. Wasn't it me and you? Do you know remember the story? It was you and I, I think. Maybe just Sia. Anyway, whatever. We're at Walmart. And you know how they got the greeters, and then they got, like, all the people checking your receipts on the inside, and they got the cashiers, and they got all sorts of people that are 
supposed to be working. They got all sorts of folk at Walmart. And, and so I'm in there, and I, I see this young man, and he is a, he's got a name tag on. He's got a Walmart badge on. And, uh, but I'm looking at him, and this dude is covered in satanic apparel. He's covered in upside-down crosses. He's got, like, stuff dangling off his ears. He's got, like, stuff, you know, tattoos. And it's, it's 100, everything he's got going, everything he's representing is 100% satanic stuff. And I'm looking at him, and I'm thinking, does he actually work here? And, uh, and so I, I, I walk in. We're going to go in and find something, whatever, Christmas time, whatever you got to do, Walmart, do Christmas thing. And I'm leaving out, and I'm walking, and I see the kid, and he's kind of occupied. And I walk out to the parking lot, and I get out there, and I'm thinking, I, I just, it's like on the inside, I feel like, I wonder if that kid has ever been told that Jesus loves him. I turn back around, I go back in, and I go, hey, buddy, what's going on? He goes, what? He literally, he's a Walmart employee. He goes, what? I go, well, man, I just saw you standing here, and I just wanted you to know Jesus loves you. He cares a lot about you. He made you, and he thinks you're awesome. This kid started on a tirade. I provoked whatever it was that was causing him to wear all that demonic, satanic stuff. He started on a tirade, spewing crap at me. I was like, whoa, does his boss see this? Like, all I said was, hey, Jesus loves you. But I'm just telling you, it, ex- it exposed the demonic that was behind this kid. There's something about taking light and releasing it in places like Walmart that is about followership with Jesus. You never see Jesus running away from the darkness. You see him going into the darkness and exposing darkness with light. I would love to say, and the power of God dropped him right there in his tracks. He got saved. He did not get saved in that moment. I prayed for him a ton after that. But just the, I mean, this was what the point I want to make. Just the mention of Jesus' name provoked the demonic that was inside of that kid. And he was, he was flailing. He wasn't physically, but spiritually flailing at me. And I'm just saying Christians for too long have shut their mouth. They've seen that kind of stuff and walked the other direction. They haven't presented Christ because we haven't been disciples. We've been mostly church attenders. Discipleship starts with following Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee, Matthew 4, 18. Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me. Follow me. And I'll make you fishers of men. There's something about followership which it will put you in harm's way. But I don't want to live safe. Do you want to live safe? Wait, maybe, do you, do you want to live safe? I don't want to live a safe life. I don't want to live tucked in and, and insulated and, and never experiencing challenging stuff. I want to experience everything that's possible, and I want to see the power of God on display. I want to follow Jesus. Jesus lived a life exposing darkness, speaking right into the face of it, bringing glory into the most darkened places. 
That's what discipleship looks like. It's following Jesus. That's the first step of discipleship. Follow me is an invitation. It's far beyond salvation. Salvation is the doorway. Follow me is a lifelong invitation. Follow me is a lifelong invitation. I want to tell you what radical Christianity looks like. It doesn't look like the person that only, you know, the, the person that they blow their voice out in the prayer meeting. It, it could be, that could be radical. But, it, you know, it doesn't look like the person necessarily that jumps the highest or paces the most or whatever, shouts the loudest, you know, for a season in the service. That's not radical Christianity. Radical Christianity is in 30 years, where are you going to be? 30 years following Jesus. That when you're 50, you're burning and passionate for Jesus. You're living uncompromising. You're, you're married and you're training your kids to be followers of Jesus. That's radical. Listen, there's something more than just succumbing to the pressures of this world and being a broken person that's just been spit out, chewed up and spit out by the world system. You can follow Jesus and greater that's he than, that's in you than he that's in the world. That can be your reality, but it takes discipleship. It takes following him. I love the psalmist. He said, my soul follows hard after you. I remember when I got saved and I was 15, and man, I was, I was just getting destroyed by worldly things. And I was back and forth and back and forth, and I was in drugs and out of drugs and in drinking and out of drinking and in, you know, immorality and out of immorality. It was just a mess. And, and I go to the University of Georgia, and, and I remember I went and heard this guy preach on lordship, and I answered this altar call because I'd never heard anybody say, have you made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? I'm not asking you if you're saved. Is he your Lord? Is he your boss? Are you following him? He preached a discipleship message. And I remember he said, if you've never made him your Lord, come down. And I remember I came down that night. I prayed to receive Jesus probably for the 7th or 15th or something time. And they said, hey, we're baptizing people. I got baptized that night. And I remember I came up out of the water, and they were prophesying to people as they were coming up out of the baptismal pool. And I remember coming up out of the baptismal pool, and he, the, the guy that was standing there prophesying over people, he goes, thus saith the Lord. You are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. It went right through me. I was crying coming out of the water. The very first thing I heard coming up out of that water, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. I go in the changing room. I'm trying to get changed. I'm trying to get dried off. I'm crying. I'm looking at myself in the mirror, and I say it to myself. You're my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And from that night, there were these two guys, Mark and Mike, they were at my dorm room that night. I went home, and they knocked on my door like 1130 at night. And I opened the door. They're like, Billy, right? I was like, yeah. They're like, we're going to help you. We're going to help you serve Jesus. I was like, I need help serving Jesus. They go, perfect. We're here for that. And then literally, like, they go, hey, Tomorrow, we're going to go on campus, and we're going to share the gospel with people. Want to come? I was like, uh-huh. And I'm like, one day, 
in the lordship of Jesus, one day baptized, and I'm literally with them walking up to people on campus at the University of Georgia going, hey man, if you died tonight, would you go to heaven or hell? One day in. But let me tell you something. I had the most radical first year of my salvation because those dudes took me out on campus three and four days a week making me a fisher of man. I followed Jesus, and then I followed Mark and Mike, which is a biblical principle. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Being a disciple means I'm going to follow Jesus, and if I can't quite tell where he's going, I'm going to find somebody who does know where he's going, and I'm going to follow them. I can't do it by myself. But get this. My first year that I was saved... I led 20 people to the Lord individually, walking up to people. If you died tonight, <laughs> would you go to heaven or hell? Busting people with that on campus at the University of Georgia, but it wasn't quite that raw. Some of it was, but some of it was like, I'll tell you one crazy one. You want to hear a crazy one? This is a don't try this one at home one. You, my wife, you were there with me that night, or did I, were you there with me that night? Yeah. She can corroborate the story. Yeah, she was visiting, so maybe I was visiting, and, uh, and I've been saved, like, maybe, oh, maybe this is like 18 months into my salvation, something like that, in, into lordship. And I'm walking, and I'm going to go. I'm coming to a Bible study in the student center, and I'm going to go get some Cokes. We had some Cokes in a fridge or something. I was going to go out and go get some Cokes, and I walked past this girl, and as I walked past this girl, I go, hey, we're having a Bible study. You want to come? And she's like, uh, no, no, I didn't say that. No, I didn't say that. I said, I'm going to get some Cokes. You want a Coke? That's what I said. And I wasn't trying to hit on her. I had my wife with me who's not quite my fiance. Or were you my fiance yet? Just girlfriend. So I go, I'm going to get some Cokes. You want a Coke? She goes, sure. I go, I go out there, get the Cokes. I come back. I go, here, I'll get you one. And, I'm, and as I'm coming back, the, I walk past her, and the Lord says to me, tell her, not my wife, the girl, Tell her, I'm glad she kept the baby. I went, whoa. Uh, okay. <laughs> Been saved a year. I don't know any better. I get her a Coke. I walk back out there. I'm like, okay. Here we go. <laughs> Hi. Uh, there's your Coke. We're having a Bible study. If you want to come also, I'm a Christian and God talks to me. That's exactly what I said. I go, I'm a Christian and God talks to me sometimes. And I want to tell you something. God wants you to know he's glad you kept your baby. And she goes, I mean, her face, she went, how did you know that? I go, well, like I said, I'm a Christian and God talks to me. And he wants you to know he's glad you kept your baby. I'm, I'm inside, I'm going, it's working, it's working, yes. She goes, she goes, I haven't told anyone I'm pregnant. I just found out. I ended up praying with her to receive Jesus. And she had made a decision not to have an abortion, but to keep her baby. Come on, people. When you follow him... 
He makes you a fisher of men because he's wanting to, you know what he's wanting to do? He's wanting to find that girl that's sitting there who's gone through, you know, the worst challenging moment of her life, and he just wanted to just, just wrap his arms around her. Following him is the beginning of discipleship. And it's not following him for a weekend or for a 21-day fast. I'm stoked y'all are doing it. Or for a Friday night, yay, Saturday morning. Or Saturday, yay, Friday night prayer meeting. It's not just about the event. It's a lifelong. Who are you going to be in 30 years, man? Who are you going to be? I remember I'm on the campus at UGA, and I had a Christian minister tell me, I was out there debating atheists. I'm like, I'm like 18 years old. I know nothing. I, I, don't, I can't even, I, I don't know anything. I, I just, I, I'm reading my Bible as much as I can. I know the word propitiation and I know Melchizedek. I know those two big words. And I'm talking to these atheist guys and they are blowing me up. I don't know what they're talking about. Ontological argument. You know, I mean, I'm just like, uh, yeah, that too. Uh-huh. All that. 220, 230, something like that. You know, I'm just making things up. I don't even know what I'm saying. And uh, I'm out there, and there's this other guy, (laughs) this minister guy who's a pastor. He goes, hey, come here. I go, yeah? He goes, listen, man. (laughs) He goes, you're real real idealistic right now. He goes, it's good. He goes, but that's going to fade. He goes, you're going to need to just settle down and get into reality. You can't just be out here trying to, like, you know, tell everybody about Jesus all the time. Like, you're just going to have to get a little bit more realistic about your Christianity. And I'm sitting, I'm on fire for God. I might be saying it wrong. I was probably telling people they were going to hell a lot. I mean, it's just, you know, not exactly. I didn't have a lot of couth. But this dude was dumping a bucket of water on me. And as he's speaking to me, I hear it in my, in like, in my soul. I, it's like, that's not right. And inside me, I went, you know what? I will never lose my idealism. And it was like right in that moment, I made a decision. In 50 years from now, 70-year-old me or whatever, I'm going to be a ridiculous fool for Jesus Christ. Because I went really hard for the devil before I got saved. And I was like, I'm going to go really hard for Jesus now that I am saved. And I knew that that Christian minister was wrong. I know he meant well, but I knew it was wrong. He was trying to get me to settle down and just, just, you know, look like everybody else and just sort of fit in the nice Christian mold. You know what he was trying to do? Getting me out of trying to be such an aggressive follower of Jesus and being a tender of services. Being an attender of services is an important part. It's where the body comes together. We experience God together. I want you to attend services. I'm doing a service right now that I'm glad you have attended. But if your Christianity doesn't move past attending services, it really just amounts to you watching somebody else tell you about what they learned in the Bible and you watching somebody else worship God. And what I look at when I see like 40 and 50-year-olds, a lot of them, their whole Christianity has stopped from being followers of Jesus to being attenders of services, watching others do Christianity and Christian things. 
and hearing others' revelations. It was never supposed to be that way. Follow me, I'll make you a fisher of men. Follow me, and you're going to be expressing glory through you, just like what just came through me. That's what Jesus was saying. Discipleship begins with being a follower, and not just for a week or a month or six months, for 50 years. For your whole life, it's a lifelong yes to Jesus. Come on. Discipleship requires authenticity. Discipleship requires authenticity. So it's the process of becoming like Jesus. It's the process of transformation. Discipleship requires a willingness to grow and change. Everybody say grow. Everybody say change. You got to be willing to grow and change. If, if you're just wanting to like, just, you know, get stuck in a mold and just, just be safe and just, just look like everybody else unwilling to stick out. If that's your idea of being a Christian, this isn't for you. Because discipleship is about transformation. If Christianity to you is another self-help program, something to help you be a better you, that's not what this is. It's about transformation. Are you willing to grow? Are you willing to change? Are you willing to be transformed? Are you willing to be different than you were last week? This is discipleship. That we follow him until we're changed. Discipleship, it's not a program. Discipleship is intimate. When you're, when you're being a disciple, when you're following Jesus, Jesus will get in your junk. He loves you too much to leave you as you are. When the Lord comes and starts dealing with me about my broken places, my failures, my weaknesses, it's never with a smack. He's never like grabbing me by the neck and shaking me or shaming me. He doesn't shame anybody. Listen, he doesn't shame anybody because he doesn't have any shame. He doesn't use shame as a motivator. Whenever he comes, if it's in correction or sharpening or he's trying to get me to grow or strengthening me, he always comes with love. And he always does the same with you. He's not shaming you or condemning you. But he gets in your places and in your spaces, and he starts dealing with you on the inside. He starts dealing with those places you don't want him to deal with, and you don't want anyone else to deal with. Discipleship is intimate. It's not impersonal. It's deeply personal. Too often we've made it this idea of being a disciplined follower, which is sort of this impersonal, follow the steps, follow the program, and you'll become a disciple. I remember growing up, and they hand me a book. They said, this will make you a disciple. Do these Bible studies. And I think you should do Bible studies. I think it will help you grow in the Word. But doing Bible studies doesn't make you an intimate follower of Jesus. It's about him getting in your junk, dealing with with the fact that you're not always honest. You're not always honest with others, and you're not always honest with yourself. Dealing with the fact that you are seriously afraid. You're afraid of everything. You're afraid of your future. You're afraid of what people think. You're so locked down with fear. 
He wants to get in there and root that out of you because you weren't created in Christ to be somebody bound by fear and ashamed all the time. You were created to look just like him, to be filled with light and life and beauty and glory and righteousness and wonder. It's intimate. He will deal with your junk. Discipleship, because it requires authenticity, it requires openness, heart disclosure. Everybody say disclosure. <laughs> Some people like, disclosure. <laughs> no, I don't want to disclose. You can't be a disciple and be closed-hearted. You can't be a disciple and keep people out here. It just doesn't work like that. You've got to have a heart that's willing to grow and to change. It's a process that causes transformation from the inside out. You know, we've, Christianity's done a terrible job on this. We've mostly looked at people's outside and thought, do they match what a picture of a Christian should look like on the outside? And so we've trained people to look a certain way on the outside, and on the inside, they're completely rotting. I don't care what you look like on the outside. I want to know what's going on in your soul. I want to know how is it with your soul. Seriously, how is it on the inside of you? What's going on in your inner world? What's going on in your thoughts? What's going on in your self-view? Because that is the place where we're transformed. Christianity was always about being transformed from the inside out. Y'all, we love Shirley so much, and she's going home to be with her babies. Bye, Shirley. <laughs> but she wanted to be here with y'all. I love your bucket hat. It's so nice. It's about changing on the inside. And when you change on the inside, the outside changes. It was never about behavior modification. It was always about internal transformation. So my first two points... It begins with following. It requires authenticity. Thirdly, discipleship brings transformation. The reason why some of you are stuck in your Christianity is because you haven't entered in into being a disciple. You're a Christian looking at Christianity as a social club or a self-help program. Your, predominantly, your predominant expression of Christianity is a service attender, not a Jesus follower. Am I making sense? Like, teaching is so important. You all, we all, I all, we all need teaching. But teaching means nothing if you don't do something with it. If teaching is about getting more teaching... I got teaching. It was good teaching. I got some more teaching. It was good teaching. I got teaching. It was more good teaching. Teaching is so good. I love the teaching. 
what are you doing with the teaching? Because if it's not transforming you on the inside out, it doesn't matter how many services you attend. There's a leadership quote in talking about American Christianity that we're educated far beyond our level of obedience. Discipleship is about letting the teaching transform me. So I don't talk crap about people behind their back anymore. So I don't judge people when I see them or when I misunderstand them. I don't just start just lining them up in my mind and thinking all the negative things about them. So that when I see somebody who's hurting, I don't mock them or make fun of them. So I try to figure out how can I get in the gap and be the answer to their issue instead of turning around and turning my back to someone who's dying and in need. How can I be Jesus with skin on right now? How can I love even beyond myself, even beyond what's comfortable? Maybe I don't even know what to offer, but here, I'm here. How can I love? It's supposed to transform us. Does that make sense? It's it's supposed to change us on the inside so then we're acting different. So that love is compelling us. So we care about people. So we see this satanic kid at Walmart, and man, it was intimidating. Honestly, this kid was probably 19, covered in all that stuff. I was a little intimidated. I'm like, wait a minute. (laughs) Greater is he that's in me than he's in the world. And I'm halfway to my car, and I'm like, you know what? I'm a fraud right now. Walking past that young man who's dying, demonized, and I'm not going to say anything, Merry Christmas? Uh-uh. Uh-uh. And so I would have walked past, but instead, something happened on the inside of me a long time ago. I got born again, and he's been changing me over the years, even to where I risk myself, and I'm thankful for it. I want to risk. I don't want to live insulated. I want to love, and I want it to hurt sometimes. Some people are so, they're so afraid of hurting, they never are willing to risk love. Look, everybody you love isn't going to love you back. The point of love isn't getting loved back. The point of love is loving. Am I making sense? So we pour it out, and we pour it out, and we pour it out. And you know what? If I sow, it'll come back somewhere. Probably from the Lord. but it transforms us when we've been discipled. Romans 12, 2, you know this. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What's he talking about? The inner transformation of the soul. It's how you're completely transformed, and it's that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Look at the New Living Translation. I thought this was really interesting. Verse 2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Let God transform you into a new person. 
by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Discipleship begins with following. Discipleship requires authenticity. Discipleship brings transformation. Last one, transformation begins with beholding. With beholding. Everybody say beholding. 2 Corinthians 3. If you have your device, I want you to look at this verse. Transformation begins with beholding. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18 let me just set the, the passage up for you. Paul is talking here, and he's describing how Moses, in the most dynamic encounter a human has ever had with God, you know, outside, you know, since the garden, the most dynamic encounter a human's had with God since the Garden of Eden, where Moses walks into the glory of God, and when he comes out, his face is shining like a spotlight. Moses, that whole encounter, Paul's talking about it in 2 Corinthians 3, and he says, what Moses experienced is like no glory compared to what you have available right now. The most dynamic encounter a human being has ever had since the garden where Moses' face is shining like a spotlight and Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, it's no glory compared to what's available to you right now in Christ. He says it was a covenant of death. It was nothing compared to what's available. And, he, and he's describing the power of the indwelling spirit. He's, he's describing the reality of God living in your spirit, watch this, and transforming your mind changing your soul, reconstructing your emotions. This is why I've been saying to you guys, you're not the diagnosis that they told you. You're a new creature. You have life and light on the inside of you. There's something greater than the abuse and the trauma. It's the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you to change you, to heal your mind to heal your soul, to deliver you, for real. I'm looking at this generation, and everybody has a diagnosis now. Everybody. Everybody's got a few letters to describe their malady. And I think it's just this. The medical community doesn't know what the freak is going on, so they're categorizing everybody. And when they categorize you, they're basically just assigning a demonic entity to you. And then you live in that identity. That's not who you are. You're a daughter. You are beloved. You're a son. You're delighted in. You're wanted. You're not a PTSD, OCD, ADD anxiety, expression of a human. You don't have a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. It doesn't mean it doesn't get a little crazy sometimes. Everybody's experience, everybody experiences a little crazy, isn't that right? Just because you experience a little crazy sometimes doesn't mean you're crazy. You have Holy Spirit on the inside of you. 
And he transforms you from the inside out. And the transformation, it begins with beholding. So the scripture goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 3 that Moses, when he came down off the mountain, his face is shining like the sun. He had to wear a veil over his face because the children of Israel couldn't even look at him. In the noonday sun in the Middle East, in the middle of the day, the children of Israel couldn't even look at Moses. His face is like a spotlight brighter than the sun. Bro. He goes, yeah, that was no glory. So Moses had to wear a veil over his face. But he goes on to say this, that in Christ, the veil that's been over all of us, that veil is taken away. And we're able to behold God without a veil on our face. But what's interesting about the whole passage is this, that Moses wasn't veiled from God. He was veiled from the children of Israel. And so 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, we, everybody say we, we all with unveiled face, we're beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. We are being transformed into the same image, even from glory to glory. Here's the point I want to make. It's not about just the veil being lifted so we're looking at God. It's about the veil being lifted so we're actually looking into each other. We behold him. And it's greater glory than Moses even perceived. We behold the indwelling spirit. We behold Jesus in the word. We behold him enthroned before God, Revelation 4 and 5. We behold our God, and it transforms us. And then we lift the veil, and we behold God in one another. And when we allow the vertical encounter and the horizontal encounter for both of those to be functioning in our lives we are transformed it's about us getting real getting honest getting open getting filled with light getting the critters out getting the compromises exposed getting our followership tuned in and doing it together because you weren't made to do this alone. You weren't made to be on an island or be a lone ranger or to be all to yourself or, you know, I just, I'm hard, you know, I'm hard like that. I just don't tell anybody about my, my feelings. I'm hard. Okay. Okay, hard, hardy. Okay. That's absolutely stupid. You weren't made to live on an island. You weren't made to live by yourself. You were made to behold him and experience him through others. We all, with an unveiled face, are beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. And we are being transformed, even into the same image from glory to glory. So Mark and Mike, they took me out every single day 
three, four days a week, whatever. They were with me every single week, I should say. But they were in my life. And then they were asking me the hard questions. They were looking me in the eye and they're going, hey, how are you doing with lust? I'm like, well, I'm good. I'm good with lust. What do you mean? Like, I'm good. <laughs> like, no, how are you doing? Well, I'm good. <laughs> and then Mark and Mike, they happen to know that University of Georgia in my freshman year was voted like number one by Playboy magazine for the hottest girls in the, in the nation. They said, so we've got the hottest girls in the nation at University of Georgia, and you're walking around, and you're an 18-year-old boy on your own for the first time. Be honest. <laughs> and I had to look Mark and Mike in the eye and go, you know what? I'm not doing good. I'm struggling. I got lust issues. I got challenges. I need accountability. I need help. And the glory that was in them was impacting me. And they were like, hey, man, I, we know what that's like. We, we, we know what that's like, and we'll help you. How are you doing in your word life? You know what, man? We're going to help you. Here's, here's the Bible says. Let's go through it together. Let's read it together, and we'll talk about it together. How are you doing in your prayer life? It's hard to pray by myself. Well, you know what? No problem. We'll be your prayer partner. How are you doing sharing the gospel with people? Well, I don't really like to share the gospel with people. No problem. Come with me. I led 20 people to the Lord that first year of my Christianity. It was shocking. And every time I was nervous. And if Mark and Mike weren't there calling me into it, I don't know that I would have shared the gospel with anybody. You have to do it together. You need people in your life. Not to shame you. Not to make you feel, you know, pointed out, but to fight for you. I, I, I need people to fight for me even now. I've been saved 34 years. I need people to fight for me now. I look at our leaders and our staff. I look at my wife. Sometimes I look at my kids and I go, I need you to fight for me. I'm not some, you know, perfect Christian, you know, whatever. I'm a man. I need help. I'm a follower of Jesus. I can't do this alone. And here's the big bomb. You and you and you and you and you can never become who you're supposed to be in God without you and you and you and you and you. Because we're all a part of one another. I cannot become who I'm supposed to be without you. And you cannot become who you're supposed to be without me. This is the wildest thing to me. Our destinies are intertwined. It's the wildest thing. God uses other people to help me to become more like him. And that's why the foundational reality of who we are at Gatekeepers is not a Thursday night service. The foundational reality of who we are at Gatekeepers is not a Thursday night service. It's a family. We have to be together. And I think of it in three expressions. I think of it in cells, 
organs, and the body. Thursday night, it's the body. It's all of us together. The organs are like family nights. When we get together in these house church environments that are going to continue to grow and multiply. But the cellular level, it's transformation groups. It's T groups. It's like the cells in your body. It's where we are going to unveil our face. It's where we are going to be transformed. All of us need others in our lives. There's four facets to T groups. Behold, share, confess, and pray. I just taught you behold. We all with unveiled face. We behold as in a mirror the glory of God. And then we're transformed. So we're going to behold God in our T groups. We're going to worship. We're going to pray together. We're going to read the word together. We're going to behold in some way. And then we're going to share. And when we share, we're going to actually get down into the stuff that's going on on the inside. I love this question. How is it with your soul? It's not how are you doing. It's not how's it going. It's not what's up. How are you? It's how is it with your soul? What are you struggling with? What are you winning? What are your successes? What are your challenges? We're going to share. What's God speaking to you this week? What you been on in the word? What are you hearing from Holy Spirit? Let the glory shine through you. Because I just beheld him. Now I want to behold him through you. We're going to behold, we're going to share, then we're going to confess. You know why we're so ashamed of our sin? Because we keep it in the dark. But when you start putting the sin in the light, sin can't live in the light. That's why the Bible told us to confess our sins to one another. That wasn't about some Catholic priest thing. That was about believers in mutuality and relationship just getting honest and real and going, you know what? I've got an anger issue. I've got a legit anger issue. I'm confessing it and repenting of it right now. Pray for me. The Bible says if we confess our sins to one another, we will be healed, saved and delivered from those sins. We're going to normalize that. Not so somebody can go, oh, you know what? we got to pray for sister so-and-so. You know what she told me in the tea group? You happen to be in the zone, sorry. When, when Padilla used to sit here, I'd be like, yeah! It's not so that we can expose. It's so we can cover. Love covers a multitude of sins. So we can cover one another. I just covered his head. Did you see that? <laughs> Behold, share, confess, and then we're going to pray. We're going to pray together. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous person makes much power available. You know who we're going to pray for? We're going to pray for each other. But you know who else we're going to pray for? People that don't know Jesus. We're going to name people who don't know the Lord that need Jesus. And we're going to utilize these groups to disciple, I mean, and multiply disciples to get people saved, and multiply disciples to get people healed, delivered, set free. It's going to be the cellular level of who we are. The T groups are ourselves. The house churches, that's our organs. Thursday night, that's our body. Can you see it? But listen, we're not doing this 
in some hype zone, come have a big service if it's not real at the, at the lowest level. Just not. We're going to get real and get authentic and get honest, and we're going to spur one another on. And you know what? We're going to be transformed. We're going to grow. And we're not going to be the same person in a year. We're not going to be the same person in two years. When Mark and Mike did that for me for that first year of my Christianity, from that point forward, I always had men in my life who I was exposing my heart to, sharing my challenges with, sharing my struggles with. I always had deep friendships with men who could challenge me, who could call me higher, who could affirm me, who would pray for me, who would fight for me, who would share the word with me. It's been the most dynamic, dramatic, helpful thing in my whole life. Here's the number one thing that people say to me when I go out. I was just out in Michigan, and they say this thing to me. They go, hey, I saw you on Gripped. I go, uh-huh. And then they go, the friendship you and Corey have, I really want friendship like that. And I'm telling you, the reason why Corey and I have friendship like that is because Mark and Mike, they taught me how to open my heart. They taught me how to be real and honest. They taught me how to get in the word. They taught me how to chew it up and chop it up and share it and go deep and how to pray. And that one year of being discipled, like nearly micromanaged by Mark and Mike, it changed my life. We're going to do that. Amen? We want everybody in T groups. Everybody. We're, we're cooking them up right now. We're putting leadership together right now. But here's the thing. You don't have to be like a leader to disciple people. In fact, discipleship, I think, happens the best when there's mutuality involved. It happens the best when we're iron sharpening iron, when we're spurring one another on. It's not the best when it's just top down. If you think that Mary Beth and I have to disciple you or Gus and Shirley have to disciple you for you to become a disciple, that's just not how it works. But when we do it with one another and we're doing it together and we're doing it all across the, our relationships mutually, man, we will begin to grow. Everybody will grow. We'll all go up together. So here's what I want you to do. We have the thing. The thing. The thing. Ah. Scan it. If you want to sign up for a T group, scan that form. <laughs> if your camera doesn't work, you can see Becca afterwards. Oh, it'll be in the group me. We want everyone in T groups. Don't tell me, oh, I'm hard. I don't need to be in a T group. <laughs> I'm shy. I don't need to be in a T group. I'm an introvert. I don't want to be in a T group. All those excuses will keep you dull. They will keep you immature. They will keep you out of God's dream and desire for you. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message ministered to you and that the Lord met you. You can follow us on Instagram at gatekeepersatl. We'll see you in the next episode. Thank you.